a mother barely twenty out there on her own a teenage boy in prison before he's even grown the illness of a loved one a widow no one calls but there is one solution an answer for it all there is power in the name of Jesus there is hope there is strength and victory to claim there is healing in his holy presence there is power in his name a nation needing mercy fighting for her life a church that needs revival a broken man and wife but in the name of Jesus, chains of bondage fall. Prayers are heard and answered when God's children call. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is hope, there is strength and victory to claim. There is healing. In His holy presence, there is power in His name. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is hope, there is strength, and victory to claim. There is healing in His holy presence, there is power in His name. There is power in His name. I don't want to lose that. That was a great song. What a message, isn't it? Great job, too. Appreciate that. Well, let's take our Bibles, turn over the book of Acts, Acts chapter 7. We're still dealing with Consider Stephen, and we're trying to learn from him and uh, glean whatever we can. Again, we're glad to have you tonight, and I'll tell you what, the weather sure took a turn for the cold. <clears throat> Boy, I'll tell you what, it was, what, 50 yesterday, I think it was, or something like that, or at least compared to today, it feels that way. But uh, this morning coming in, it wasn't nearly as cold as it was when I left, and uh, I'm sure you had that same experience, and I thought, wow, it has changed quickly. But we're glad you could be here tonight, and I'm extremely glad that we didn't have to plow or put salt down. I'm glad about that. You realize every time we have to do that, it costs us money, and so I sure like when we don't have to do that. And uh, also, and not only that, but even worse, uh, it it gets a little bit tricky out there. You know how those sidewalks are, and then if it gets a little slippery, it just makes it like a little, I mean, it's kind of like a maze out there or whatever you call it, an obstacle course, trying to get through there. And so we're certainly always thankful and grateful when we don't have to deal with that. But again, if you're ever coming through that parking lot, no matter what, whether it's during the week or any time, you must be very careful. Just take your time through there, okay? Don't get in a hurry. We don't want anybody falling, getting hurt. Acts chapter 7, verse 54, <clears throat> when they heard these things, 
they were cut to the heart. They gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. The witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. It's interesting, you know, one of the most powerful passages in the whole New Testament is in the book of 2 Timothy as we read the Apostle Paul's closing remarks, final remarks. I have fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. And here we have a young man, Paul. And that's something. Here's a young man here. And it won't be long. He'll be the elder statesman headed out. I say, young people, that's how fast your life will go. You may seem like you have all the time in the world, and I don't mean to try to discourage you or take away from your youthfulness, and I think optimism and uh, being excited and uh, just uh, expectation is a wonderful thing, but I'm going to tell you something. If you're going to do something for God, you better do it now. better not wait around. You better get it done. So nonetheless, we continue reading. He says... Verse 59, and they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Of course, we've been dealing with Stephen and just discussing, first of all, his qualifications. And boy, I'll tell you what, what a man of God he was. And he was certainly a man of God who had earned the right to be in the position that he was in. And someone would say, well, nobody has earned anything. It's all the Lord. I understand. But let me tell you something. God has looked over the life of Stephen and he said, man, now that's a man of God. That's somebody that cares about me. That's somebody that's devoted to me and committed to me. And, unfo- and, and the truth is the people around him recognized and saw that as well. And ultimately he is one of seven of the whole church to be elevated to this position as we would probably call it a deacon. And He's put in a position to serve, to serve. And he is a holy pattern to us. And he's a man of God, a man's man. And Stephen, his, he was a qualified man. But we saw not only his qualifications, we talked about his participation. Again, he was out preaching the word of God. He was involved in the ministry. He was up to his neck, busy about the things of God. Oh, I'm not sure exactly what other responsibilities he had as far as he providing for his family. I'm not sure if he was on staff there. It doesn't say he was. It doesn't, it, it, I mean, he probably held a job, but he was still out preaching and teaching and performing the duties, constantly involved, working seriously and sincerely for the Lord Jesus Christ, recognizing and realizing that there was a judgment day to come in which he'd stand before God and that this life was simply the smoke and mirrors and that one was the real reality. So we see his qualifications, his participation. We noted his generation and we talked about that last time we were together a few weeks ago on a Wednesday night and we noted that they hated him. His generation was not friendly. They were not kind to him. They, did not, uh, they were not tolerant of his gospel, if you will, or his belief or his faith. Not at all. 
And it's interesting, even in our day and age, is that we have a group of people uh, that are politically correct who are tolerant of everybody's beliefs and everybody's morality and everybody's positions except Christianity, it seems. It's amazing, isn't it? And i got to believe it was probably very similar. And we know that they fabricated lies and they made things up to try to discredit and ultimately discard this man of God. And before it was over with, of course, they did indeed do so. And tonight I want to continue by noting his proclamation. So as we said already, we've addressed his qualifications, participation, his generation. But I want to note his proclamation in Acts chapter 7, verse 51. Could you take your Bible, look over there very quickly, just a few verses from where we began tonight. Acts chapter 7, verse 51. We're going to start with his proclamation. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we love you. We need you tonight. Thank you again for the privilege of prayer and the ability that we have to come to you. And Father, we're begging you now, Father, to meet with us. And I'm asking you to fill me with your spirit. And Lord, help me to proclaim your truth with unction and power. And Father, not to be in any way, Father, hindered or hampered by this old sinful flesh. Or Father, to be in any way discouraged or even distracted in any way. Father, bless now. We need you. And Father, we're asking that you would meet with us, work with us, and help us today. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Acts chapter 7 verse 51 says, You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you do always resist the Holy Ghost, as your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which shewed before of the coming of the, the just one, of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers who have received the law by the dispensation of angels and have not kept it. I mean, he's had a message he was proclaiming. And you know, here we have this Stephen, this man of God, lifting up a message. And it was not a very positive message. It was very much like any any other prophet that proclaimed a message. It seemed that the prophets often were one of gloom and doom. And Stephen's was no different. Or at least it seemed it was no different to that crowd. Now, you and I know that he wanted to point out their faults and their failures in order to bring them to the reality and the truth of Jesus Christ. But they didn't see it that way, obviously. No doubt about that. It was gloom and it was doom and it was bad and there was nothing good about what he preached in their eyes. Whether it was Isaiah, Jeremiah, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, or any of the other prophets, it wouldn't have mattered. The message was clear. It was as clear as a bell. And the message was simply this, whether it be to some Old Testament saint there in Jerusalem, whether it was to uh, these particular men there in Jerusalem in that day, God is not pleased with you. And as a result, He's going to punish you. So get right with God and beg for His mercy. That was the message of the prophet, and that was the message of Stephen. And it's hard for us in our day and age, isn't it? Because everybody has to love everybody. Nobody's allowed to dislike anything. Nobody's allowed to have an opinion contrary to someone else's. Everybody has to agree on everything and be tolerant of everything. And and you're right, I'm right, everybody's right, nobody's wrong. But see, there is a standard by which we live. And there is a standard by which the universe is ruled. And it is the Word of God. And God's Word never changes. And the fact is, is although our culture may change, and although the, the standards may change in our culture and in the world in which we live, God's Word never changes. And He has a right 
as Creator and as Lord of all to tell us we are wrong, dead wrong. And in this case, he puts Stephen there up there on the, the little, little uh, uh, wooden pulpit, so to speak, and says, Hey, fellas, listen, I want you to know, council. I want you to know, leaders of Israel. I want you to realize right now, without a doubt, God is not pleased with you. And as a result, he is going to punish. So get right with him and beg for his mercy. Again, we may be living in the 21st century. Maybe caught up in the information age and find ourselves perfectly comfortable with immorality. But whether we like it or not, the message hasn't changed. Sin is still an offense to God. It still violates His righteous nature. And He demands, it, it, sin always demands His wrath. And He is justified in that. Sin continues to damage psyches, impoverished souls, and shipwreck reputations. To this day, it's still doing the same exact thing it has always done. Sin is always followed by consequences that leave us living with pain, scars, and regrets. Is it any wonder then that, that, that God, who loves us so much, would insist that we live holy and obedient lives? You know, often we, we almost look at God as though He's some evil taskmaster. Demanding that we walk a straight line. Requiring that we live holy and righteous in the world in which we live. And we think to ourselves, well, he's a little bit overboard. Sometimes it's just a little bit too much. But he's doing it for our own good. It's for our own good. Because sin is always riddled with consequences. In 2 Timothy, the Apostle Paul addresses the method and the message that is Son in the faith, Timothy, is to share with the people. Look at you in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 through 5. <clears throat> Stephen proclaimed a message. Stephen had something to say. Now, Stephen was tasked with a job that wasn't easy. I mean, I would have much rather, if I was Stephen, had the job of telling the people how much God loved them. And, you know, in a sense, he does in, in one respect. But they don't get that part because he also has to come down heavy on a few areas. He points at them and he, that finger seems to just literally grow, almost like Pinocchio's nose. And it goes right at them, right between each of their eyes. And there is conviction there. But notice how the Apostle Paul addresses this area when it comes to his son in the faith, Timothy. He addresses the method and the message. In 2 Timothy 4, verse 1 through 5, he says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead, the quick being the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. <clears throat> Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned into fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. Paul understood that there would be opposition to the faith. Not just opposition from the outside, but opposition from within. And therefore, he seeks to instruct and inspire his young companion and protege, Timothy. He warns him that there's going to come a time when folks would not desire, nor would they put up with, sound doctrine. But instead, they'll invite falsehoods to replace the truth. 
Why do they do that? In order to justify their sinful, selfish, and sordid ways. That's why. To justify them. Listen, I don't want to stand up, sit here, and listen to somebody tell me how wrong I am, how I'm violating biblical truths and principles, how I have, you know, offended God by my actions and my attitude. I don't want to listen to that mess. That doesn't make me feel good all the time. And I'd rather be able to say, you know, okay, so I do this or I do that. It's not so bad. And, and I mean, other people have their sins. I have my sins. And, and oh, the preacher, he understands that too. And everybody's happy and everybody's good. And we're all faithful and we're all surrendered. And we're all truly men and women of God here. I mean, that's a nice message. It's a nice message. Commit adultery or that's a nice message. Go out and steal or go ahead and offend someone by gossiping about them and sharing falsehoods and hurting someone's reputation and character. That's all right. That's fine. You're still a good person at heart, though. Wait a second. Today it's amazing, isn't it? Everybody's good. Oh, he's a good guy. But he's immoral. <laughs> She's a nice gal, but she's immoral. We don't even say that anymore. We just, oh, they're a good, good person. They're nice. They're kind. Why would you have a problem with her dating your son? Maybe because she's had three other boys. And I'm not real thrilled about it. And I have an opinion about it because I believe my son de deserves better. Amen. Someone says, oh, that's, that's a bad attitude. Well, go ahead and let your son marry her. I'm sorry, but I'm going to be honest with you. We have gotten away from protecting our young people because we are so afraid of being labeled today as being intolerant of things and no grace in our lives. It's ridiculous. I don't know about you, but I want my wife to be faithful 100% of the time, not 99%. And you know what? We better start raising and elevating our standard for our own lives, our own homes, our own marriages, and we better say to ourselves that God's standard is the standard. That we don't have to comply and we don't have to agree with the world that says we take anything, we accept anything, and everybody and everything's all right. Hey, listen, if that was the case, Stephen wouldn't have had to preach the message he preached. But he did. He preached a very difficult message. God says, listen, there's some things that you're going to have to warn them about. There's going to be people, however, that aren't going to have any desire for those things. And he says, here's what you're going to need to do, because it is inevitable. People will not want to hear the truth. People are not going to want sound doctrine. People are not going to want to listen to you tell them that they are wrong. So what are you going to have to do? Preach. There's the method. Preach. There's the method. Preach. Not have some conference, necessarily, or some, not conference, but have some kind of some kind of psychoanalytic group gathered together and hold hands and consider different opinions and ideas. No, you get up and you preach the gospel. You got to do something about it. You got to give it to them straight. And I'll tell you what, that's not easy. You say, what's the message? It's the word. Preach the word. What, what's the message? This book, the word of God. We have got to get back to the Bible. We've got to get back to where we believe what God says is right is right, and what God says is wrong is wrong. It doesn't matter what the world says. It doesn't matter what it says on television or what our favorite movie, you know, personality is. I mean, that's ridiculous. 
Well, you know, I know a lot of friends and they don't agree with what, you know, we learn at church. And who cares? You ought not to be friends with them. Don't be friends with them then. Preach the Word. The Word of God is the authority. The Word of God is the standard. And that's what Timothy is proclaiming. And that's what Paul says. You must give it to him. You've got to do that. And then how are you going to do that, Timothy? You're going to have to reprove, rebuke, and exhort, he says. What does that mean? Well, he's got to reprove or convince them and those that are in error as to the doctrine, the doctrinal errors of their life, areas where they are failing or not measuring up to the sound doctrine. The idea is that he's going to do it fearlessly also. He's going to expose the real nature of sin. He's not going to hide them from themselves or the truth itself. He's going to just lay it out there. I'm not talking about being nasty. I'm not talking about being mean. But I'm talking about someone that's not going to compromise in order to gain the friendship and the accolades of others. That's going to say, this is where I stand on the Word of God. And I want you to know that's where God wants everyone to stand. No compromise in that. If it was wrong 50 years ago, I promise you, it's still wrong today. If that song was wrong 50 years ago, that song's still wrong today. If that movie was wrong 50 years ago, I promise you it's still wrong today. If it doesn't abide and doesn't add up, if it was wrong to go to movies 50 years ago, i got to believe it's still wrong today, whether you like it or not. i got to believe that things didn't change in this book over the last 50, 75 years. i got to believe if it was wrong to dress a certain way 50 years ago, it's still wrong to dress that way today. I don't care how many people in our culture and our society stand and, and do that. I, I, it, just, it doesn't change anything. Because the standard has never been the culture we live in. It's always been the Christ that we serve. And that's the message that Paul is telling Timothy to preach. And he says, you must reprove. And that means to convince them of the error as to doctrine. Don't tickle their ears. Don't convince them that they are inherently good. This idea, and again... I get caught up in this. I get caught in this here. You know, there's good in everybody. What's the Bible say? If you really think about what the Bible says, I get caught up in that because I want to believe the best about everybody. That's me. I'm always like, no, I'm sure they didn't really mean that. I'm sure that if they said that, they were just having a bad day. I'm sure that they were just a little bit overwhelmed with life and they said that, you know, and they didn't really mean it. Maybe they did. I don't know. But I'd like to believe they didn't. But the Bible says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That doesn't leave a whole lot of room for good. There's nothing good in you and I except Him. He's the only good in our life. Well, we, we really, we got to be careful. And so when we start judging ourselves, be careful we don't judge ourselves based on our own perspective and outlook. Our own upbringing and our own analogy or analysis, excuse me. We need to make sure that we're judging ourselves based on this book again, the Christ who saved us. And so he's telling them, there you go. Don't tickle their ears, but literally give them the truth. Very clearly, share that truth. Protect them from themselves without God. What would you be like without God? What would you be like without Him? 
And he's saying to Timothy, listen, I don't care whether they want to hear it or not. You have a responsibility to protect them from themselves without God. Protect them from themselves. Boy, what a mess a person is without him. Oh, they may have a nice car and a beautiful house and a wonderful wife. It may seem that everything's going their way, but they have nothing. Miserable. They have hell. Protect them from themselves without God. So we have to reprove. He goes on to tell him, he says, you must rebuke. So what do you mean? You have to rebuke the unruly. You have to rebuke the immoral man or woman. Why do we have to rebuke them? Why do we have to fix blame? Why do we have to say, you are wrong? Why do we have to do that? Why has Timothy got to do that? Because evil soon spreads if it's not exposed and condemned immediately. It's like a cancer. If it's received, if it's accepted, if it's embraced, then it spreads. It spreads. And remember, is there anything good about sin? Well, hold on now before you answer. You have to think about that. Let's consider the answer without, without the setting we're in. Let's remove the setting we're in and answer that question. Is there anything good about sin? Hold on. We're not in church now. We're not seated in the seats in front of a pulpit with a little cross on the front or a preacher standing up there. No. Now we are at home. Now we're in the car driving to work. Now we're at the mall. Is there anything good about sin? Now we're watching that show and it's funny. Is there anything good about sin? Before we answer, we need to think about where we're at. Because the truth is, if it's, there's nothing good about sin right now where we sit, right now, then there shouldn't be anything good about sin wherever we're sitting and wherever we are with whomever we're with. And the reality is, is whether we agree or not that it's, there's nothing good about sin, the Bible makes it clear there isn't. It is the reason that everyone's going to hell. I don't think there's anything good about that. Right. Amen. And I know you don't either. So we have to reprove, rebuke. A perfect example of this kind of, uh, uh, of Rebuke is found, of course, with Nathan. Remember when David had sinned and Nathan boldly faces David and says, Thou art the man. That, that is, that's rebuke. Then we have to exhort. He tells Timothy, you must exhort. That, that exhorting or encouraging and teaching with all long-suffering has to take place. Basically, what he's saying is, Timothy, you need to ensure that you are encouraging men and women to keep the ways of God, to follow in sound doctrine, to live in holiness. Encourage them. Point to the good. Show them it's worth it all. Persuade them not to continue in sin, but instead to choose to lead a better life, a more consecrated, separated, and life that pleases the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have rebuke, he says. Here's the message, or the the method. Preach, Timothy. Here's the message, the word. And and you're going to have to reprove, rebuke, and exhort. You're going to have to expose the error. Reprove. Expose it. Make it clear. 
You're going to have to rebuke it. You're going to have to fix blame. You have to fix blame. That's, there's no way getting around it. And then you're going to have to exhort, encourage toward right. Now, with that all said, to rebuke, reprove, and exhort isn't always comfortable. Isn't always a comfortable position for the man of God. There are some that seem to enjoy it more than others. I would imagine, but it is not a comfortable position for the man of God or for the listener. The person being reputed, rebuked. That's not a, a pleasant place. I mean, to be told that you or something that you're doing is wrong, that you're guilty of sin, that can be pretty uncomfortable, can it? As a matter of fact, we can be tempted to resent it and even resent the person doing it. Take your Bible, look over at Galatians chapter 4, verse 16. The Apostle Paul is addressing the Galatians. You know that the Apostle Paul had a heart for the people that he ministered to. to, to. I, I'm sure that there wouldn't be anybody in the crowd, at least this crowd, that would, that would oppose that. Every one of us would say, yes, indeed. Apostle Paul certainly loved the people he's ministering to and wanted the very best for them. He would have never done anything just simply to hurt or to harm them. But notice what the Apostle Paul ends up saying to the church at Galatia. He cries out and he says, Am I therefore become your enemy? Because I tell you the truth. Obviously there in Galatia, there were those who started saying, that Apostle Paul, all he cares about is he runs us down. We never measure up to his standard. We're always falling short to his expectation. We're never good enough for him. Hmm. Am I therefore become your enemy? Because I tell you the truth, he says. Because I point out the error and I try to protect you and your families from harm and hurt that the world has to offer. Am I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Because I seek to spare you the hurt and the heartache that others that are lost and children that have gone astray have? Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? When's the last time somebody told you the truth and you resented it? And you resented them. That's a bad place to be. And somebody says, yeah, but if you'd have heard how they said it. Sometimes just because they said it comes out wrong when we hear it. Because we're wrong already. I mean, where we're positioned already makes it hard to hear it. They could have come on their hands and knees. We'd have still said that they were coming with daggers in their hands. Be careful. Timothy, he says, guess what? You're going to have to reprove, rebuke, and exhort. And you know what, Stephen? You've got a hard task ahead of you. I mean, you have been tasked with a, a job to do, and that is not going to be an easy job. You are going to have to proclaim the truth. You're going to have to point out some error. You're going to reprove, and you're going to have to rebuke. And if given opportunity, then you can exhort. But we know he was never given that chance, was he? We saw Timothy's proclamation. It is important that any time we share truth, like the Bible teaches, we're to, to, to share the truth in love. Now, that doesn't mean that that doesn't hurt. It just means that the motivation is for good. 
And I want to encourage you in this realm too. You need to be very careful, and so do I, that we are not so quick to share rebuke and reproof with people we have not invested in. That, that's very damaging at times. Somebody shows up in church in the last three months and you just haven't appreciated their outfits. You've not talked to them much other than maybe say hello, shake their hand, hey, good to have you, walk away. But then you come up and say, I just want you to know that, that the way you've been dressing the last three months does not please God. Let me tell you something. I would prefer you put a key, lock it, and throw it away than to say anything until you have spent some time getting to know that person, understanding where they're at in their life. Amen. You don't understand what they're going through and what they're dealing with. They may be changing more than you could ever dream. They could probably be, they could possibly be a better Christian than you. Because it's not based on where you are at. God bases it on where you're going. And I'm just saying we need to be careful before we get this holier-than-thou attitude that we have every right to fix everybody. That's not what the passage is teaching. First of all, we're dealing with a man of God here in this passage who is over a group of people, Timothy. And we also have Stephen who's been commissioned with a message. Yes, be careful. Dad, you have every right to address the issues in your home. You need to do it with confidence. You need to do it with courage. Sunday school teacher, you're investing in children or investing in young people or investing in singles or investing, possibly you're investing in some adult class uh, folks in your class. You're going to have a position. You have a position and the authority now and the right to address those issues if you have been consistent and faithful in caring for them. But be careful that you don't insert your will and your perspective on people that you have had no contact with. It's hard for people. They do not accept that well. And understandably so. And Brother Collins came to me and said, Preacher, can I just talk to you a minute? Immediately. I'm okay with that. Because I, I know where Brother Collins is and I know what his heart is. And we and him have discussed things before and I trust him. He said, I just want you to consider some things. You've been this or that, and I just want you to think about that. I, I'm a little concerned about this. I would hear him out, and I'd have to go, well, you know what? I don't know if I agree with what he just said to me, and I don't know if I'm 100% behind that, but I do know that man, and I know he would never say anything just to hurt me. I'm going to have to weigh this out. I need to give great consideration to this. <clears throat> There's a difference. There's a difference. And you know what? That's the way it is with you, too. If we're honest with ourselves, we want somebody that we know cares about us. We, they always say, nobody cares what you have to say till they know you care. <clears throat> Doesn't make the, the truth is still the truth. Yes, it is. But let's be careful. We're not going around chopping heads off and cutting people off the knees. Let's make sure we're doing it with the right spirit and the right heart. Let's make sure that we've already put in the time, invested the prayer, and gone forward with some things before we'd make it our job to fix others. Let's make sure we're fixed. We're in the right place. Not perfect, but that we're heading in the right direction. Then we can help others. And boy, I'll tell you what, it's, it's a wonderful thing to be able to talk to people honestly and then receive it gladly. That's a blessing. That's a wonderful thing. But that takes effort on our part, doesn't it? And sometimes, even if we've invested, sometimes they're not real excited about it. 
and understandably so. I don't like to be wrong, do you? I certainly don't like other people to know I'm wrong. That hits against that. It kind of rubs wrong against the pride there, you know. Or maybe it doesn't bother you, but it bothers me. So let's go ahead and do our best to proclaim the truth, but do it with the right spirit and the right attitude. And uh, God will bless us for it. Father, we come to you.